Hello and welcome to Glasgow City Heritage Trust podcast, If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a new series about the relationships, stories and shared memories that exist between Glasgow's historic buildings and people. Hello everyone, I'm Neil Murphy and welcome to If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk, a podcast by Glasgow City Heritage Trust about the stories and relationships between historic buildings and people in Glasgow. In this episode, we'll be talking about historic school buildings, why there are so many and how the community can get involved in their preservation. If you are listening from Glasgow, I'm sure you have a historic school building in your neighbourhood and possibly more than one. Have you ever wondered why there are so many old schools in our city? Well, the high number of historic school buildings in Glasgow has to do with the Education Scotland Act of 1872. This law made elementary education compulsory and free for all the children in Scotland between 5 and 13. The Scotland Education Act took inspiration from the Elementary and Education Act that passed in England and Wales in 1870. Although this act is considered the foundation of the Scottish modern school system, unfortunately, it played a big part in the repression of the Scottish Gaelic language. The effect of this reform has been described as disastrous and contributed to destroying Gaelic communities and culture. However, before 1872, 40% of Scottish children, so that's around 35,000 children of compulsory school age, did not attend school. So under the new Education Act, approximately 1,000 large purpose-built schools were created to accommodate new students. Poverty was not accepted as an excuse to avoid attending classes and help was provided through the poor laws. In Glasgow, 75 new schools were built between 1873 and 1918, each school accommodating between 800 to 1,000 pupils. The cost and the upkeep and preservation of these massive Victorian and Edwardian school board buildings has been a constant challenge for the council, the pupils and communities. Some of these buildings such as the handsome, B-listed St. Dennis's Primary School, built in 1883 by James Samadon's son, or the internationally renowned A-listed Scotland Street School Museum, designed by Charles Ernie Mackintosh, and soon to be a school once more, are still in use and enjoyed by their communities as places to learn. Sadly, some of the historic school buildings have met a quite different future, one characterised by uncertainty and dereliction. Among these unlucky buildings, we can find in Pollock Shores the Sir John Maxwell School, designed by John Hamilton in 1906, or the B-listed Hag Hill Primary School. Unfortunately, both these handsome schools have fallen to serious disrepair since they closed for good. So what can the community do to save these buildings? Are they salvageable or even worth saving? In Glasgow, one of the best-known examples of a community taking ownership of a historic building and saving it from certain demolition is Govan Hill Baths, one of the pioneers in community ownership in Glasgow. And I must declare an interest here as I am also the chair of Govan Hill Baths Building Preservation Trust who are working on the repairs just now. So the campaign to save Govan Hill Baths began in January 2001 when Glasgow City Council informed the community and users that it was to close the baths on 31st of March that year without any local consultation. In response, community members occupied the school from 17th of March to 7th of August that year. So at 140 days, it remains the longest occupation of a public building in British history. Govan Hill Bus is now a thriving grassroots activist-based organisation delivering a wide range of health, well-being, arts, environmental and heritage projects. Another great example of a community taking ownership and repurposing a historic building, in this case a school, and it's the focus of this episode, is Kinning Park Complex on Cornwall Street, which overlooks Plantation Park. Kinning Park Complex is an independent, multi-use community space in the south side of Glasgow, providing a variety of great activities in a place that brings people together, helps reduce isolation, builds friendships, and creates a real sense of community. The complex is well used by local organisations, dance and sports groups, artists, musicians, and community projects. Kinning Park Complex is located in an old red sandstone building, built in 1916 as an annex to the Lamb Hill Street Primary School. In 1976, the building was converted into the Kinning Park Neighbourhood Centre run by the council. However, 
local residents and supporters had to fight to keep their much-loved community centre open, when in 1996 it was threatened with closure due to council cuts. For 55 days and nights, the group stayed in the centre 24 hours a day. Their determination and passion are the reason why Kinning Park Complex exists today as an independently run organisation where the community can flourish. Their vision is for the Kinning Park Complex to be owned by the community, providing facilities and services developed and governed by the community for its community. So today our guest is Martin Avila, Director of Kinning Park Complex. Originally with a background in non-formal education and intercultural learning, Martin became involved in social enterprise early in his career, leading him to become director of the Kinning Park Complex, where he became more involved in community ownership and community-led regeneration. Martin is currently a board member of SURF, Scotland's Regeneration Forum, and treasurer at Community Land Scotland, a membership body for community landowners in Scotland and the voice of Scotland's land reform movement. So welcome to the podcast, Martin. Hi, Neil. It's good to have you here, Martin. So we've got some questions for you. And the first one is, what was the original motivation for saving Kinning Park Neighbourhood Centre back in the 1990s? You know, it's a really good question as well, Neil. And I think most likely it's probably going to have been a confluence of a whole range of different uh, motivations because everybody brings their own, you know, ideas to the table. I think one of the strongest kind of collective motivations would have been the need to keep the services running that ran out of the Kinning Park Complex. So I think uh, there was a lot of after-school services and, and services for local children, and they were really key in providing the support for working parents, you know, especially working women, uh, to be able to... Uh, continue to bring in an income for their families. I think that was part of the motivation and also uh, one of the, the main sort of drivers within that occupation and certainly within the early uh, years of the Kinning Park Complex was a lady called Helen Kyle and she had her kind of own motivations behind it as well. She really wanted to show that small self-governing entities could play a role in wider society. Uh, I think she had a bee in her bonnet around uh, the representation of Scotland on the European stage, and she wanted to show that mm -hmm. just because something was small uh, and not necessarily part of something bigger, it didn't mean that it wasn't viable. And so that was her kind of own personal motivation, but I think a lot of the motivations of folks were around keeping the services going that were running from the Kinning Park Complex. Right, okay. So um, are the people who started the process, are they still involved? No, not at all, actually. I mean, that process was over 20 years ago, and uh, I would say that there's probably been maybe, you know, three generations realistically since then and we're probably just about to embark on a fourth generation with maybe some you know uh, some transition periods in between so Helen was really key uh, as part of the the sitting uh, and alongside a whole range of other people who played a really leading role and and she was involved in running the centre for the first sort of 10-13 years of its existence uh, and then Helen moved on and a chap called Lindsay Keenan came in. He had uh, spent some time as the head of campaigns for the Nordic region for Greenpeace and wanted to come back and do something a bit more grassroots after having been involved in, in starting kind of international campaigns such as Don't Drill in the Arctic, which was uh, eventually successful in, in securing a a moratorium for drilling uh, and and then there was a really myself coming in alongside a, a lady called Rachel who became the operations manager and that were that at least were the folks that were in the leadership positions the folks that have been in the committees uh, have changed over the years and then there's folks who play driving forces you know even if they don't kind of have any official position within the organization and I think that is really one of the main challenges also, actually, as a community organisation which is responsible for, you know, a, a piece of built heritage because that's going to go on. You know, hopefully built heritage should have much longer lifespan than anybody's one role within an organisation. So trying to deal with the transitions between, you know, generations, let's say, is, and, and trying to bring folks in and give them space to have their own ideas uh, and their own ability to shape the future whilst maintaining a link to the heritage of the past is, you know, is one of the challenges. 
Absolutely. So is it still very much in, in, embedded in the community in that sense that, that your, your volunteers and the people on the board, they're all people who are based in the local community? As now, it's not necessarily been the case. I think there's, there's been a kind of transition uh, alongside also the kind of use of the building. And so when the, you know, and also there are certain things that we don't necessarily have historical records and, and I'll probably talk about that a little bit later on when you ask one of the questions that I think you might ask about favourite buildings but uh, the, um, uh, the 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 um, I think that you know the building it really deteriorated over a bit of time and so you know at one point actually before Lindsay came in after Helen moved on the building really wasn't in any fit state it did you know it came close to being closed again because of the the state you know they were able to secure money for the windows but because of the issues around the lease and you know if we talk about the community asset transfer later on it's something that I can come back to but because of the issues around the lease it wasn't necessarily something that uh, we could secure capital funding for no no t- totally understand that yeah that's a, that's a ma- major issue that yeah and so for a long time the building wasn't really in a state that people could really use it you know and so i until it became less and less and less usable and so as that happened i think less and less you know services that appealed to local people were, were, were running from it and it started to become mainly used as a kind of underground venue you know for fringe arts and fringe politics and a little bit more left field because okay, okay. You know, mm-hmm, th- th- mm-hmm. those kind of initiatives are more drawn toward ungoverned spaces and to a certain extent that's what kept it going so you know when Rachel and I came in in July 2015 Essentially, we thought that our first job was going to be securing a 25-year lease, securing a million pounds for the building renovation. And actually, you know, that changed for for a couple of different reasons, as I said, I'll come back to later on. But also one of the first things that we realised is that building wasn't really serving local people anymore. You know, there were were some dance classes, but the the majority of folks didn't know Mm -hmm. what happened in the building. The majority of folks that were involved in running the building weren't from the local area. Uh, but that's something that's changed mm-hmm. now uh, with the majority of board members living within five minutes walk, the, the majority of members being drawn from the local area as well. And also, as we're starting to get some energy uh, in terms of we're not diverting all our energy into making a building, which is really difficult to maintain, you know, stay mm-hmm. operational, we've, we're then lifting yes. our eyes from the day to day and thinking about what else is happening in the neighbourhood. And we're, we're we're getting a good bit of traction with something called a local place plan, uh, which is something which has came in after the yes, planning act. Yes, yes, some something I'd, I'd like to touch on, on on later on. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I can see a lot of parallels with what's happened at Governor Hall Bar. So I mean, for instance, and this this happens with other organisations too, who are, you know, working out of an, an historic building which needs maintenance. Those budgets, obviously, getting the money to do that is not straightforward, particularly according to your lease situation. And so that was one reason why the Governor Hill Bar's Community Trust, who are the actual people who do all the stuff with Governor Hill Bar's that everybody knows about, set up the Building Preservation Trust to deal with the kind of the capital repairs to the building, because it meant that there was a group that could focus on that alone, and it didn't you know, detract from what the mission of the organization actually was. So, and I think, I think that's quite important, but yeah, definitely recognize where you're coming from. So for instance, before we ended up having to vacate the building, which we did about 18 months before we actually started work on the building itself. And that was just because it got to the point where it was so cold and damp because it didn't have a heating system. And what the, what the community trust had done was they basically built themselves a wee hut inside the building that was a proper insulated hut because you've got, you know, these huge spaces where the pools are, um, which are really, you know, they were op- open to the elements essentially with broken windows, etc. So they went into that wee hut to keep warm during the day. So it's not exactly an ideal situation when you're trying to, you know, carry out your everyday jobs and responsibilities. So it's no. something some that pe- people do have to think about. Or, or make it an inviting space for the rest of the community to come into we were exactly the same except our hut was built in you know and it became a bit of a joke in the winter time you know waiting to go as long it's like a camping trip in the summer in Scotland when you're you're, yeah. like, you're, you're waiting all through the <laughs> yep. night trying to figure out how long you can get away with going without going for a pee 
uh, and you know, and kind of waving, yes. to, your, yeah, waving yeah. to your comrades and saying, like, listen, folks, I may be some time, you know, not really sure if you're yes. going to make it back to the trek for the toilet. Yeah, 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 quite. No, absolutely. To- totally understand how you feel about that. Okay, so how do you keep staff and volunteers motivated and enthusiastic about Kinning Park Complex vision and mission? How do you go about doing that? You know, I, I think it probably requires a a few different things. It requires some really special people uh, to be involved in the first place. You know, so the the staff and the the volunteers that were involved in the Kinning Park Complex had a lot of motivation for the sort of things that that we were wanting to do. Uh, it requires a lot of energy mm-hmm. from a from a leadership team who really, you know, you really have to have somebody mm-hmm. coming on board. Uh, at least during those times of you know essentially crisis, who who's going to live and breathe the building and take real responsibility for it. It's also maybe why governance structures have to change as you move out of those kind of crisis periods because having a, a kind of yeah. more command and control structure, let's say, or you know more streamlined governance works well within mm-hmm. those those you know those those times of difficulty whereas actually in the long term we want a much more distributed leadership model uh, i think also right. it's it's about the stories of what the building does so if i think what really motivated the staff to deal with the challenges that we did it's because some of the things that happened in the kinning park complex you know i can't I imagine mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. this is uh, is true, but in different flavours in other community-owned buildings. Some of the things that happened in the Kinning Park complex just wouldn't have happened in other spaces. You know, apart from maybe somewhere like Govan Hill Bath, actually, to be fair, because that kind of heady mix of locals yeah. uh, that have lived there for a long time, new Scots who have not long, you know, made their life in our city, yes. yeah, and yeah. you know, folks yep. who are. You know, intrinsically interested in f- creative projects which involve community and folks that are interested in arts and folks that are interested in community development you know that kind of heady mix of things that we had a, a, a kind of understanding that you're all you can realistically do within the world is probably two things right make a a, a decent impact on one individual right and we know for a fact that there are individual stories there that the Kinning Park Complex has really mm-hmm. helped people you know where it has ha- had a big impact on their life so to a certain extent in that micro level it was changing the world and also create what I would describe yeah. as these little bubbles of beauty you know like these little bubbles of magic mm-hmm. these little mm-hmm. transitory moments that exist in one event and one interaction and one project and one program and one weekend and after that they go yeah, but yeah. realistically thinking well actually in the grand scheme of the universe that's probably the highest thing that you can ever really do so I think it's you know it's giving them yeah. space it's getting the right people it's giving them energy and it's doing fantastic things that then give you the energy and the drive to deal with all the challenges absolutely I, I really do recognise that from, from Governor Hill Bus as well and it's something that really inspires me about the, the the community trust there and how effectively they've tried to work to do that within this community. And I think, you know, in many ways you can see how that's been very central to the, the regeneration of Govan Hill as an area and, and, and has kind of made it um, desirable for artists and people like that to move into. So I absolutely recognize where you're coming from there. But there's another issue too, which I think is quite interesting too, in terms of, you know, how... Do you manage to shift away from what was, you know, a campaigning organization that was trying to look out for this kind of big, big historic building within an area? So you have to shift. It's a culture shift from being this campaigning group to something that is actually managing what is basically a major municipal facility. How how did you guys go about doing that? Uh, I think sometimes you just have to change the people, if I'm being honest. You know, like an organisation shouldn't be overly reliant on one people and and sometimes you need different skill sets for for different uh, different situations. You know, Helen Kyle was a community development worker and, you know, uh, for, you know, no, no regimes or no, you know, Regime's a bit of a strong word, but but no sort of leadership group is, is ever gets everything right. But you know, Helen's was very much motivated in community development principles, right? Uh, and uh, then as the building deteriorated and as it became a much more difficult situation in terms of interacting with the council, in terms of firefighting and managing the problems within the building, 
Lindsay Keenan was absolutely the right guy there, right? You know, both he was an incredibly practical person, right? And so he could actually do because he done everything from fight the council to uh, to uh, to to change the light bulbs, right? Which in the Kinnan Park complex at that time it was a mission, <laughs> and so because you know you're trying to get the right light bulbs that they were far too high and they required you know ladders and and and, and sometimes scaffolds, and so and and the fight mm -hmm, with the council, mm -hmm. you know, Lindsay was somebody who grew up and you know he his previous he grew up in terms of vegan and vegetarian and environmental activism in Glasgow from being a, what he would probably describe as a bit of a scheme boy himself uh, and then moved on to shutting down Russian mining operations by getting people to abseil down them right <laughs> and so like if you had a a problem that required a sledgehammer and you know a, a, a whole load of black and white photocopied leaflets to get people's attention Lindsay was your man but mm -hmm. eventually actually both absolutely Lind yeah. Lindsay burnt out do you know what I mean like I don't yeah I don't, I don't mind yeah, saying yeah, that I can totally understand yeah and so and he moved on yep. and it required a different skill set and also you know I think now, again, as we move back into the building, it's time for a change. And I'm actually going to move on as well. This is one of the last things I'm actually going to do. Okay, that's very interesting too. I'm conscious of this because, it's you know, Governor Bass is kind of is going through that same process too. And it's like that shift from the campaigning organisation, which is incredibly useful. But, I mean, there have been times, you know, when we say – Everybody's anticipating where we're going to get regeneration capital grant funding. And then we didn't. This is several years back. And everyone's kind of instant reaction was, right, that's it. You know, we're going to go and park our tanks on the lawn in front of the city chambers and we are going to give them hell. And it was like, eh, that might not be the best way to go about it. You know, m maybe we actually, you know, we have to think this through. And, you know, maybe there were other organizations in Glasgow, which just because of where they are at the moment, were, were, were more worthy in this particular end. And sometimes you find with these things that, you know, you're in a queue and that sometimes other people are prioritized and there's not a lot you can do about it. That's just politics. And maybe the best thing to do is to work on building our relationships with the council and figure out how we can overcome this problem. And that maybe actually going and having a dialogue with them rather than a fight might be better. So I don't know. There's there's those issues you have to think about. Definitely, Andy Milne for Surf yeah, Scotland's Regeneration Forum. He was the outgoing director there, and he was quite good. There was a few mm -hmm, times mm -hmm. I quite wanted to push nuclear buttons, and he always was like, "Listen, you know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, you have to remember that, you know, that." You know, for example, big articles in the press, and they're not necessarily going to change your situation. But you know, you're going to have no. to deal with the fallout tomorrow, and 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 you're also maybe yeah. going to see people on 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 the flip side. And it's also quite easy for people to caricature community organisations. I mean, I totally bristle at the mm -hmm. way that. Uh, mm -hmm. it, the, the way that community organisations and community projects are described. I, to a certain extent, love the, I love community, but I hate when the, the word, oh, it's a community project, you know, because for me that's a byword for underfunded, second rate, and a whole load of other things when used pejoratively in the wrong, wrong way. And, and sometimes I'm like, okay, what's the difference between the community sector and the private sector? Okay, one's massively inefficient and wouldn't survive without state subsidy, and then the other one's the community sector. And so... Uh, you know, mm. I think we have to we have to be be careful, and so yeah. Anyway, I, you know, for us, it's about changing up again and saying, well, you know, for us as an organisation, my own personal belief is is that you really needed somebody like me who was really at the centre of the drive and the direction, and this is what we're going to do, and we've only got so much time to do it. We need to save this building within five years because the heating's going, the water ingress is getting worse. You know, at the minute, none of the services work, but the the the, the walls and the roof are fine. Mm -hmm. How long is mm -hmm. that going to stay? Afterwards, you, you don't need such a... And we also had the situation where we had to really completely change the way that the venue was seen. You know, it was like anarchist book fairs and underground punk concerts was essentially the majority <laughs> of the stuff that was going on at the KPC. Now, I've got no truck with either of them, but, you know, that is not necessarily also serving the widest uh, sections of the community either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be a bit niche, and you got to be con you got to be conscious of that because you're there serving our broader community. Big style. Yeah. So, yeah. but that, that's the changes that we are going to go through is, is go go to a more distributed leadership model. Yeah, it sounds like a very very similar journey, which kind of this brings me on to my next 
kind of question, which is to do with the, the, the main challenges involved with dealing with funders to secure the monies that you need for the for the repair and refurbishment of the school complex. You know, what, what have those been? First and foremost, realistically, the, you know, people give money away all the time, right? And so there's probably, for my mind, three things that you've got to think about, right? Is, is that your legitimacy. So people, how people view you in terms of your legitimacy, right? And so the legitimacy is, do you think you can use this money properly? Have you got somebody in here that's been involved in a project which is similar to this? You know, what's your track record of delivering the things that you have done? And people need to trust you because, you know, I think there's a, mm-hmm. I think there's a, a general feeling sometimes is that you can view funders like dragons sitting in a big pot of gold, you mm-hmm. know, that they're actually wanting yeah. to, to guard. They're definitely not like that. What they want to do is to give money to well-run projects to achieve the aims of that funder, and actually they want to give the money away. So first and foremost, they need to they need to think that you can carry out this project and spend this money properly, because the main thing that they don't want is for the whole thing to go, to go wrong. The next thing is about relationships. And, and so, again, you know, funders are not big dragons sitting on pots of gold. They're some really motivated, fantastic people. Getting to know them, build those relationships, understanding them as a human being, listening to their concerns. Very, very much. Not just pushing yeah. back on, well, if somebody says, I'm not really sure that your business model is going to work, then, you know, you can take that as, what do you know? Or you can take that as, you've probably seen 400 business models. <laughs> Maybe I should try to understand what about yep. my business model is, is concerning. You know, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, so, absolutely. And then I think off the back of that, you know, realistically, it's also just a game of balancing plates, man, and it's really difficult to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you yeah. You've, you've got to have you've got to have somebody who is able and ready to spin a lot of different plates, and to a certain extent, then that you know, somebody that can spin six plates is never going to French polish something, right? Because if you are worried about the fine fine detail you couldn't do like the six plates thing you wouldn't you'd be too freaked out by it so again you you have to behind that person you also have to have another team of folks that are actually you know a lot more conscientious and focused on smaller details that can that can temper the excesses or the person who's you know the big picture can convince folks that things are a good idea. So you need a team that that mm-hmm. that have all these different aspects. So I would say it's about the legitimacy, it's about the relationships, and it's about the team of folks that you've got. Okay. Um, what would you say to other organisations who are in a similar situation then? It's one of those things that you know you don't want to put people off, and you don't want to you know you don't want to bring them into it naive as well. And so I would say ultimately. It can be done at the end of the day, you know, but it's going to take a long time. And, you know, I think if you Absolutely. think yep. however long you think it's going to take, you know, maybe double or treble it. So if you think it's going to be two years, <laughs> you know, I mean, the Kinnan Park and Govan Hill Bath, these were 20 year projects, you know, like. And yeah, there are, yeah, there, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are, there are very few people you know, uh, that have stayed the length of those projects, you know, and mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so you know, if you can get one or two of those folks, then then that's incredibly lucky. But this is going to be a, yeah, a long yeah. project and it's a wee bit of Martin Luther King, yes. you know, like, know that the promised land is there, but not everybody's necessarily going to make it together. But that doesn't mean yeah, that yeah. we don't have to, have to go yeah. for it. So, you know, I think first and foremost, be clear of, why you're going to do it and what it is that you, you you want to achieve you know go out and see what others have done because you don't have to tread the path alone folks like govan hill mm-hmm. baths folks mm-hmm. like action porty over in edinburgh folks like the kinnan park complex folks like the pyramid and anderson uh, get involved with organizations like community land scotland like detas that have supported yes. others to yeah, go yeah. on and, and and do this and and think about staging your journey and think about what you're going to do if you cannot get to where you need to get to because at some point you may well need to build yourself a little insulated hut in the middle of the winter and you're going to need to camp down in that and you're going to need to come back into it day after day after day after day but 
for all that, you're probably going to be able to do some really special and amazing things because there's nothing more beautiful than potential. And to a certain extent, you know, yes. coming into a space like Gordon Hill Bath is tremendously inspiring. Now, it does get to a kind of yes. stage where you're sick of people telling you what you think you could do, you know, because people will come into the space and go, do you know what you could do here? And, and eventually, you know, you might start telling them, well, do you know what you can do? Because, like... People have got lots of ideas, but not that many people stay the course. But if you start telling people what they can do when they've telling you, you know, what you could do, then it's probably time to change and get somebody else to take the next leg forward. Quite absolutely. I just, I'm, I'm really acutely conscious of the whole um, People Makes Glasgow Communities program at the moment and the, all the campaigns that are going on with the various libraries around the city. And that when I've spoken to people who've been involved in that, I'm, I'm trying to stress to them, you know, this is not a straightforward thing. Think very carefully. You know, it's it's one thing saying, I don't want to see that library shut or anything, but it's another thing having to sit and run that as a facility and look after the building and the people that are using it and run, you know, courses and 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 you know, you know events from that building. That's it's quite a different thing. And and trying to point out things that look look, Governor Hill Bus, you guys as well. Look at the length of time that has taken to get together. These are not things you can turn around in a sixpence. Um, and it is about relationship building, and you'll have to build relationships with the council. And acutely conscious that council officers are the gatekeeper in these 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 processes. So you you have to think through those things, and you know you you have to have a positive relationship with them rather than denigrating them. Because they're dealing with loads of people that are like you, that are hammering at their door and want something out of them. So unless unless you kind of do that in a positive way, you're going to get you know kickback from it. So it's 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 about how you handle all of that. Yeah. And you know, community run spaces it shouldn't be that community. It's 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 community run spaces or nothing. You know, like and to a certain extent, when community organisations step in to take over something that's going to shut and a wee bit it's a, it's a sign of failure if you know what I mean uh, and there's also it's not it's not necessarily going to be easy and there's certain things that just don't need to be privatised because also you know one of the things about community organisations is that when you uh, ultimately it starts to bring a commercial pressure in to the organisation yeah, as well right yeah. you know and and for, you know we need to have spaces within the city that are completely free from commercial pressure now community organisations mm-hmm. should be able to carve out a little small place because realistically a lot of what the Kinning Park Complex does is about providing low cost affordable space you know and there's also something great in there because we were also able to look at something right so just within my time I've seen probably a few different things that have came so you know probably about four or five years ago maybe a little bit less you started seeing uh, a lot of younger folks coming together and really starting to you know organize themselves around the idea of non-binary identity right so these were kids whose own identities were either non-binary or transsexual and you know Mm -hmm. uh, and they were really starting to come together and be like do you know what man like we need to have spaces for us we don't necessarily you know uh, fit in as easily in traditional LGBT do you know what I mean like uh, spaces which tend yeah, to be yeah, yeah. you know a uh, a revolve around alcohol they still tend to be male dominated yep. spaces yep. you know when we go yes. into more yeah, yeah. wide stream spaces actually the the levels of violence that, that folks that are transsexual uh, face are, are, are like mm-hmm. astronomically high compared to you know other members mm-hmm. of the population as well and so we were able to turn around and be like you know what we really believe in this and or if it was something like a uh, the, the old, I can't even remember free pride do you know what I mean like to turn around and be like do you know what oh, yeah. He, yeah, here's, yes. a, here's yep. a bunch who are going like do you know what like actually like we don't necessarily like want corporate pride like sponsored by McDonald's yeah. with the yeah, police yeah. leading yes. up the yeah, thing I can understand that like so so without getting into the politics of that like as a it's difficult for the council to give those spaces right because when you've got like a big huge monolithic organisation the bigger your organisation is the tighter your policies have to be or else it just becomes a mess the smaller your organisation the more reactive and responsive you can be so within you know a diverse ecosystem we have to have community controlled Mm -hmm. spaces in my opinion but we also have to have decently funded public services and it's a false dichotomy you know and and it's a dangerous path you know and a road to perdition as far as I'm concerned of making all the spaces within the city spaces which are 
you know, run by small community organisations because those organisations, and I can say this, and you know, as as a leading light the Kinnan Park complex collectively mm-hmm. within that mm-hmm. movement, mm-hmm. right? Is that you know they tend to be romanticised. You know everybody likes the story. Yep. Not not everybody likes to turn up yeah, on yeah. that cold and wet Tuesday and deal with, with the, absolutely the, the puddles and all that, right? And that can rise yes. and wane. And you know you need the stability of the council for certain things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and yeah. so I, I'm in complete agreement. It's, it's it's a difficult one this Glasgow makes community, but uh, we have to make sure that that things are because the community want to take them over. Not because they feel it's the only option. Yes. Yeah. 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 That. That. Yeah. That does worry me too, and it worries me that you will get some communities that are capable of stepping in and taking on the services from you know local facility, but you'll get plenty of others that do not have that capacity, and you know building up that capacity in a community is not a straightforward thing. It will take time. You know, I, I want to see if the council is able to do that somehow because I think that will help with kind of grassroots communities um, or community organisations, I should say. But I think it's a long journey and it will require a real degree of patience. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a really tough one. You know, I think any of these kind of things, they can't be imposed from the top. They have to be bottom upwards somehow and how how you kind of foster that i don't know um it's difficult and i can see kind of both both sides of the problem um but it has to come it has to be sincere and definitely grassroots based and it's not going to be cheaper necessarily certainly not no not necessarily not necessarily straight away you know and and it shouldn't be done with the idea because all of a sudden you're like wait a minute so all these problems around health inequality and social inclusion and a whole range of other things that the council couldn't fix right so now you're going to say that smaller community organizations with the funding are supposed to fix these right you know kind of very good yeah but i think you know if I, if I take it to a microcosm level, as I said, we're going through this kind of transition in an organisation which is around distributed leadership mm-hmm. in the Kinning Park Complex. Essentially, I'm, I'm moving on and there's a question there, do you go out and, rec- and, and recruit another director? And, and what we mm-hmm. are looking at doing is saying, no, actually there's two parts of what the director does in the Kinning Park Complex. There's the strategic and there's the operational, right? And uh, yeah, a lot yeah, yeah. of that operational stuff we want to kind of try and chop up and spread across a range of staff positions and a lot of the strategic okay. stuff uh, what we want to try and do is work towards being an organisation that takes its strategic direction not from any one individual but from its wider membership right that's going to cost us money in, in the long run you know it's not just a case yes. of well Martin's going I think folks have to look at it now at the end of the day if we're in a situation that people are truly engaged in the institution's uh, and active within their institutions and playing an active and participatory role within their communities and they feel that they can mm-hmm. do that and there are also spaces mm-hmm. which are more representative of the communities in the long run that's a good thing but that's going to require that requires investment it requires investment and reform it does. you know reform of the way that our local democracy is reform of our public services and investment in both our communities and in public services as well okay um well, that touches on the whole future of the Kinning Park complex. So, so can you can you tell me something about how your plans are going for the purchasing and renovation of the building? How's all that progressing? I, I mean, it's been you know, it's it's been a mega journey, especially during COVID, you know. And so, uh, I can th- imagine. <laughs> I mean, th- as I say, things just take a little bit longer. It wasn't necessarily easy. Uh, going through the community asset transfer stuff. But that's, you know, part of that has just got to do with how complicated these things can be. You know, uh, Mm, it wasn't mm, necessarily clear around who, you know, if you look in Glasgow, Glasgow doesn't actually necessarily know what it owns, you know, and it doesn't necessarily... I'm well aware of that. (laughs) Fascinating problem, that one. Yeah, and, you know, so, and, and, you know, I think there are also, like, competing demands you know so at the end Mm -hmm. of the day if you look at the officers of city property right you know they are from a commercial property development background right so they are not necessarily Mm -hmm. used to a situation where somebody's going to come and put all their cars on the table and be like how you doing neil i'm martin here's my agenda this is what i want out of it what do you want out of it all right cool happy days let's draw that down the middle what they're used to is smoke and mirrors and deception and commercial negotiation for everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for every pound i win you lose a pound right so so there's a cultural change there 
Uh, there's also and, and a whole and then there's a whole range of things that community organisations don't necessarily understand. Do you know what I mean? Like about you know what what's conveyancing and what's involved and you know how how are valuations agreed and, and, and a whole range of other things. So that's just around the, the lease. Do you know what I mean? Like so that that took a little bit mm-hmm. longer to get there. You know we thought that we would come in for a lease, but the the ground moved beneath our feet, and suddenly Community Empowerment Act meant that you weren't going to get a couple of million quid off the, the back of a 25-year lease anymore. It was only a few in the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we, we got there, uh, and, and we, we've, we've set up a membership organisation in order to do that. To a certain extent, we've probably went a little bit backwards, because in an ideal world, you would have set up the membership organisation, built consensus around it, uh, yeah. and uh, and then went through the community asset transfer in a slightly less yeah. ideal situation you'd have went through the community asset transfer set up the membership organisation and built it but we kind of had to set up the membership organisation without there being a whole load of folks involved in it you know when I say a whole load of folks like maybe 40 folks do you know what I mean like whereas actually you know and, and a smaller nucleus of folks really driving it forward because of the, the way that we got the land fund money, you know, so, uh, and now we're starting to look back in that and say, right, well, how do we really go to a membership organisation that serves its local community? We're going through a local place plan mm-hmm. as part of that. We're, we're going to uh, outline a transition to what, what it means to be truly membership-led. So there's there's all the kind of governance right. and the operational and the, the, the stuff kind of going on in the background, and it's progressing. You know, again, it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing that you sit down and you're like, right, 18 months, but actually... For the Kinning Park Complex, I think, to really go through that, like, we've got a real process for how we bring a wider constituency of folks together to make informed mm-hmm. decisions. It requires mm-hmm. so much transparency around decision-making. It requires so much understanding of power dynamics and the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. It requires transparency mm-hmm. around finances so that people can make the contextual decisions around where money should be invested and where it should be not. And so I think this is going to take like another five another five years and it's going to require a new generation of folks to, to really take that forward. I suspect you may well be right. I mean, it's been interesting. We, we with the, my, my governor boss hat on, we didn't go down the community asset transfer route. Um, only because there had been kind of a sell mechanism already established before that came in. And so we were advised to stick to that rather than do the community asset transfer. But it has been such a massive learning curve and not straightforward. Our legal costs, um, the budget is eight times what it originally was. Um, we way under budgeted for it. Yeah, because it's, it's a bespoke agreement between us and the council. And we'd initially, we'd wanted to use um, as, as a template one of their other ones that they'd done with Glasgow Building Preservation Trust. Um, but no, the council wanted a bespoke agreement and that has been really, really expensive for us. And have it because I asked the project director if I could attend some of the discussions to kind of hear about this. And um, that was an eye opener. I mean, it was... You hear these kind of lawyers um, saying, having these arguments about how many angels are on, dancing on a pinhead. And you, you're just sitting there thinking, oh my God, all this is is that, you know, the gradually the, the counter is going up. It's ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. And it's, that, that was a real eye-opener. And I, I, again, this comes back to the, the People's Make Glasgow communities. I really hope the council learns from that because you can't, put every community organization through that you have to streamline the process and have a proper template that is readily adaptable for you know the scenarios that they come across um uh, so definitely when when i'm when i'm speaking to other organizations about that you know i advise them that watch out for that that was that was a trap we fell into unfortunately yeah yeah it's cost us that's a shame. This is the thing: is, is you just there are so many hidden hidden pitfalls along the way, and that's why you know you're right to say, don't get into this unless you're ready for a long journey, sort of thing. Uh, I mean, I kind of bringing it back to a more practical point is is that the building works are going well. You know, we've been relatively lucky in that there have you know, I mean, we had big plans for expanding the building by building a new office block next door, uh, and 
you know, uh, to create a, a co-working space essentially. What we wanted to do was to, to a certain extent create an intersectional co-working space, right? To say that actually the challenges that we face you're not going to be able to tackle unless you've got academics, campaigning organisations, community groups, social enterprises, you know, all in the same place because, you know, how you get beyond, you know, like a think tank coming up with a good idea, how do you get like folks engaged in that? Well, you know, think tank really needs something that's got folks on the ground, and so that's kind of where we wanted to go. But we were supposed to be, uh, you know, putting the, the last of the funding together with that uh, in March 2020, right? And so, and we were supposed right. to be signing the, uh-huh. uh, yeah, you were supposed to be signing the contracts with our contractors for the main building in March 2020. Yeah, yeah. And, and then yeah. COVID hit, and to a certain extent, we were quite lucky because, you know, it was just, I was like, listen, by the way, the first thing we need to do is jettison this idea of this new building because one, you're not going to get any money for a new office building yeah. anytime soon. And two, like, we don't know where the costs are going to go in the main building and the length of time and all that so if we jettison this just now there's you know we had half a million and, and somebody lined up for an ask for the other half a million uh, mm-hmm. for the uh, mm-hmm. for the the, the 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 building next door and and all of a sudden i was like listen we need to get rid of that idea and and what we'll have is half a million pound over what we think it's going to cost for the main building do you know what I mean like and and then we'll be in a in, sure. in, a, in a decent position to kind of go on and, and do some of that stuff um and and so yeah, and that's that's the way that it's worked out. And actually, that's meant that as right. time has crept up and cost has crept up because it's been a much longer mm-hmm. process, then we haven't necessarily had to worry. If you know what I mean. So you know, we're hoping that the building's going to be opening in September. No, t- totally understand. It's it's similar for us. I mean, we're we're conscious of things on the back back of the pandemic and Brexit as well. Um, that costs for everything are going up through the roof at the moment. You know, basic kind of um, construction materials. Everything's kind of spiking up. And of course, our plans were all based before all this happened. And you're getting this inflation spike as a consequence of all that. And it's how you, you know, we may have to accept that we're either going to have to do more fundraising or we may have to accept there are certain things which we initially thought we would get, which we might not get now. Um, so that's, you know, that that's a problem in itself. Um, but Okay, you've you've talked about how that affected your plans, but what, what about what what did you guys do um, in terms of you know what what role did um, Kenny Park Complex play um, in assisting the community during lockdown? Can you tell us something about that? Yeah, I mean we were really lucky to a certain extent. We hey, had gave up, but we'd done the same as you. You know, this happened in March, and we were out of the building in October, so we we kind of said yeah. that. We, you know, so that meant that we were already out of our building, and so we were using another uh, hall which was not very well used at the time called Clyde Community Hall, mm-hmm. and and we were in there, and we had our uh, cafe running two days a week out of there, and so we already kind of had a base mm-hmm. in this kind of much smaller place, and we were quite lucky because straight away, as, as soon as it, you we sent folks home about a week or two before lockdown because uh, somebody. Right. There was a close contact case with somebody that we were pretty sure at that time had COVID, you know, because they'd been doing, they, okay. they worked in the uni and they had all the symptoms. And so we right. were like, ah, listen, right. yeah, yeah. and so that kind of made us start to think about all this stuff a fortnight before. And what we kind of said to ourselves was, listen, let's just throw everything out the window and let's just mm-hmm. literally put letters through the boxes of everybody in this neighbourhood, like 10,000 10,000 letterboxes and be like listen man are you you alright do you need anything do you know what I mean like and and, or do you want to get involved and so initially what happened is a whole flood of folks came back and said right I want to be involved and then a whole flood of folks Mm -hmm. started getting in touch being like listen I'm struggling for food you know and I don't think that these folks were necessarily not Mm -hmm. struggling Mm -hmm. before do you know what I mean? But all of a sudden, maybe the kind of we get out clauses that they had of going to the local food bank, going to a community meal, going to X and Y and Z, they were all gone, man. And they were like, listen, man, I'm stuck in the house, try, try to live on three quid a day, and it's not really happening. <laughs> or yeah. I'm like, I'm going to the supermarket, I don't speak English, I'm going to the supermarket, and there's nothing there. And I don't know, like, I, like, I only really know how to cook couscous. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I've, like, I've got no idea what the heck I'm supposed to do. So all of a sudden, we kind of 
pivoted and there was we set up something called the AOK project, right? Uh, and so, you know... Yeah, I love that name. Cheers, mate. And so it was like acts <laughs> of organised kindness. And so, because at the time I was like, listen, yeah, yeah, see, yeah. I just thought, like, I thought, I was, I thought that was brilliant. That's inspired. Thanks, mate. Uh, and so I was just like, you know what? We don't need acts of random kindness right now. What we need to do is to get super organised and marshal everybody and look after mm-hmm, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah. we started uh, putting out food packs and I think we must have done like uh, over like the kind of initial first set of things about 20 tons worth of food and we ended up with a support list of about 200 people that were getting called every week some of them for as long as you know 30 minutes to 40 minutes you know some of them just for two minutes how are you doing everything all right are you sweet for food okay cool right we'll give you a wee shout next week you know because maybe they had like a family like five or six of them do you know what I mean and they were all right they were like we're mm-hmm, cool mm-hmm. we just need some food but you sorted us out last week so we're grand and so all down to folks who were like super struggling do you know what I mean like no strong relationships lived on their own had existing mental health problems do you know what I mean like and so yeah 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 so that, that kind of support project got, got set up and off the back of that we were also like doing up people's gardens, sending out toys and art packs for kids and, and walking dogs and, and all that sort of stuff and, and that's really you know what we did then for yeah. for the next six months and we were super lucky because yeah. we, we had a, a grant from the Scottish government and pretty much within a mm-hmm. week they were like listen see whatever you think you were supposed to be doing don't bother and just do whatever you want with the money that you've got just make sure everybody's right. sound right. and so that was like that's that, good good to hear that they were that accommodating yeah mate, absolutely the Scottish government were revolutionary within that kind of aspect you know and I wonder how much that will get, get looked at again and I guess it's difficult right because you know at that point it was really easy there was a set amount of folks who already had money so it was easy to go we trust you you've all got the money anyway you know that's not going to work so just throw it out the window and community organisations were able to do what they want but we kind of made the decision that we were going to do that then the Scottish government kind of came on board with that relatively quickly and actually mm-hmm. you know like there was a lot of, there was a lot of revenue sloshing about do you know what I mean so we were able to really look yeah. after folks in a way that, that was probably needed in the first place uh, but yeah. but wasn't yeah, yeah. and so you know I, and I think probably my proudest moment of our team in the whole thing is I guess you've got a kind of micro and a macro there was like one of our staff members supported somebody who uh, he didn't have any family relationships, man, and ended up with a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. through this, right? Good. Do you know what I mean? Like, and was like away into the hospital, and like he would have just went through this in the middle of the pandemic alone if it wasn't for like this mm-hmm. staff member. And I think like four or five of us, alongside the guy's brother that turned up from another country, were the only folks at this guy's funeral, man. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, you know, right, right. I don't know what it feels like yet going out of this world, right? I'm going to find out at some point. I hope not yet. But it seems to be that, you know, both knowing that somebody who had to make that journey did it, knowing that they weren't doing it Mm -hmm. alone and somebody cared about them was tremendously important for that person. And it was, you know, as difficult as it was, I think inspiring for the staff to be like, do you know what? If we yeah. didn't do anything else this week, we did that. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then yeah. I think that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. kind of micro yeah. level. And in the macro level, we were able to support a, a migrants-led collective that had never really had more than a couple of thousand pounds before. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mm-hmm. they like were like, ah, listen, I, I get in touch with them. Was like, listen, there's a Scottish government thing going. Like, do you know anybody that needs money? Because you're a community anchor organisation. If you if there's folks if you need money or folks you work with need money, what is it? It's up to a hundred grand. And I spoke to them, and I was expecting them to be like, do you know what? Like, um, you you need a couple of grand. And they were like, ah, a couple of grand. He's like, ah, we need 75. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they were like, you need 75. And I was like, <laughs> and then they turned around and they were like, listen, we've got like 500 folks that we are providing support to. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. straight away, I was like, actually, there's no organisation in Glasgow that I know that's that's providing that much support to that many people in that difficult a circumstance. Yeah. And so we ended up going yeah. and we'd already kind of linked up with Gal Gale and Sunny Govan Radio and mm-hmm. local Baptist mm-hmm. church and some other folks. And, and we needed some money ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, half the money went between those organisations, including us, and the other kind of 50 grand went to this migrants-led collective that had never employed any staff before. And then when we kind of said, right, what do you want to do it? Do you want to give out, do you want to give out food parcels or vouchers? And they're like, no, we want to give people money. 
and I was like, ah, are you mad? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think, like, <laughs> I, there's a chance that we're going to be able to go and be like, listen, this group that have got no track record, they're wanting 50 grand and they're just going to hand out in cash. And they fired back to us, right? They fired back to us with two things. First of all, they went, don't know about you, man, but it says within the Scottish government's independent panel on poverty that food dignity principles say that you should be given cash in the first basis, man. And, and actually, yep. you know, this yeah, yeah. is why we need to support the small shops that are providing culturally appropriate food. Because if we give everybody money for ASDA, well, ASDA's going to hoover up that business and they're not going to be yeah, there. Yeah, of course. Do, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. our shops are not going to be there. And, and like, we're dealing with folks who have got no choice, whatever, in their life. They don't choose, they can't work. They're not allowed to work. They don't get to choose where they live. They didn't get to choose whether they stayed at home in their own country. They didn't get to choose, you know, whether they stay in close contact with their family. You know, sometimes they don't mm -hmm. get to choose a whole range of other things. Uh, and they're like, the only thing that we can do for them is to give them choice. And we're going to give them choice by giving them money. And I was just like, man, thank you so much for schooling me. Because, you know, like, like I have been taught a very valuable lesson right here. And so we went back, man, and we sent it to, you know, the lottery and the government. Like, listen, this is what this group want to do. Here's your your food principles and they were like yeah no worries man I was like 50 <laughs> and so I was just like you know what man if I, don't do anything, if I don't do anything else in my career like here's something that was done right do you know what I mean and I played a that small role in facilitating that yeah pretty much mate brilliant great alright so you were telling us earlier about your local place plans initiative can you tell us something more about that yeah so you know we don't want to bore people too much there's a uh, plan so right there's generally who makes the plans for like who controls planning mm -hmm. is obviously the council and statutory officers and they create these development plans that happen you know once every 10 years and they don't have many links into the community they're very well intentioned folks but they're they're not very well resourced they've got more work to do than than than, than they've got the resources to do uh, so what generally happens is is that they'll put out like a consultation nobody will engage with it apart from you know, well-funded private property developers who can then have a, an undue influence, you know, by having the loudest voice within the situation, within the planning process. And, and also there's a whole load of sensible decisions that if we'd engage with folks within the local community who are just like, don't put that there, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't put that there because this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. something gets put there and that happens, right? And so, uh, you know, the... The latest planning act had something called a local place plan within it, uh, and that local place plan basically means if you, as a community organisation, similar to the Scottish Land Fund and the Community Asset Transfer, if you're a constituted community body, right, a constituted community body can put together a local place plan. So essentially, what do we think as an organisation should happen, and that gets lodged with the council, right, and so we, we, you know, I had been up and before this kind of actually sprung into being I had been up in Papa Westry which is like the most northerly of the Orkney Isles and up in Papa Westry they have got like some amazing community development work going on they've got you know a couple of trusts that kind of interact with each other one runs a, a youth hostel the other one runs an art space they were facing like massive population decline for them you know yeah, it might of be like 15 people left the island right and you're like aye yeah 15% in two years and so and, and their school was going to close so they'd done all this work and they kind of said to me like listen you know the best thing that we did was we had this kind of like this uh, community development plan like what we want to do over the next 10 years and so we I, I was like you know what we should do that at the kind of park complex and we did that and at the same time actually the local place plan thing sprung up and and, mm -hmm. and I was like right we need to do this local place plan that's what we need to do and so we ended up bringing in a guy called Nicky Patterson who's our new community development officer who is you know stand-up guy fantastic politics an amazing community development practitioner and and he kind of said like mm -hmm. listen we need to go further than just the kind of park complex putting together a local place plan what we mm -hmm. need to do mm -hmm. is we need to create a, a community-led blueprint for what this community is going to look like we need to go in and we need to there are no other community organizations within this community really other than the kind of park complex we need to go and work with other organizations help or other nascent groups and help them form and develop their own ideas and their own aspirations and support them and we need to network them and we need to bring them together and we yeah, need to get this yeah, yeah. all down in paper and we need to put it into the council and be like 
this is what's happening in this local area. And so it's not really... Yeah. So we're at a stage of primary legislation, which means the Scottish Parliament's passed something saying this needs to happen. But the mm-hmm. secondary legislation, which mm-hmm. is the point at which yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is how it's going to happen, right, uh, hasn't been passed yet. So it's kind of still up in the air. But the, the place plan is bringing together, you know, it's bringing together bunches of young, uh, young skaters who are mm-hmm. like hanging about mm-hmm. underneath the motorway, setting up like a, a bit of a skate park there. It's bringing together. Oh, I've, I've gone down to see that. It's 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 quite something that. Yeah, yeah. and so it's, it's helping support them. That's great. Them, I was I, mean? I was down, I, I walked, walked through it last week. Yeah, so it's cool. Eh? That's brilliant. Uh, and they were setting up a, a friends of Festival Park group because Festival Park mm-hmm. is a very underutilized space in Glasgow. It, uh, it really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that would that would be that would be worthy of doing something about. Big style and, and great, you know, great park, totally unoverlooked. Yeah, yeah, you know, Which and is so and, and a whole range, of, a whole range, of, yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like that is the problem, and so that's that's one of the questions there. And under severe developmental pressure by the Cala buildings and everything that's kind of going yeah, around I'm, it. Yeah, yeah, really, absolutely. You know. I'm really, I'm, I'm not not a fan of that scheme. Um, I don't think it's terribly no. good, but anyway. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, I digress. <laughs> yeah, it's not as yeah, the whole range of other things. It's not linked up to Paisley Road West. It's going to create more traffic problems. Yeah, X, yeah. And, X and Y and Z, right? Do you know what I mean? But it's like, it's again, like, you know, we want to go all radical on it, right? The forces of developmental capital are more organised and have a clearer purpose and mm-hmm. they're better mm-hmm. resourced. So, what for them, it'll probably make perfect sense. Do you know what I mean? Here's a bit of underutilised land, which is, you know, relatively well connected X and Y and Z. We could build some, some quarter of a million pound flats there and, and do a turn. Uh, and so, the so you, you kind of get it. So, at the minute, realistically, that's what we're doing and we're kind of saying, like, okay, it's alright for the right. current park complex to be here and be this anchor institution providing services. But actually, if we're not, like, up lifting our community. That's a really worthwhile idea. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what's going on there. It's called Because We Say So, uh, Our Turf, Our Turns, and, and so www.becausewesayso.scot. Nicky's a Pollock Shields boy, and, you know, and he... Is he? Yeah, right. yeah, and so, you know, uh, and so he's, you know, has kind of, you know, he's definitely guided and motivated by, you know, because you also have to understand how did those brownfield fights get there? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, a lot of this was clearances, you know, essentially, right? So so let's face it, you had folks that were kicked off the land, they were brought into, they were brought into urban slums, do you know what I mean? Like in terrible working conditions, worked till they they dropped and then they were cleared again and fired out to schemes somewhere else. And you're like, oh, I wonder how come we've got problems with drinking drugs? And you're like, I don't know, man. I I know, Generations of collective trauma, maybe? I swear it all gets personal because my partner is actually, and it's just... He was he was um, brought up just along Cornwall Street yeah, yeah. from the Kenning Park complex. There you go. So you know where you've got the tenement right next door to you to the south. Yeah, yeah. His tenement was directly beyond that and okay. is now under the, the MA. Waterway. Yeah, yeah. So so when when you look at when you look at the maps of the area, um, and this really fascinates me about Kenning Park. So Plantation Park opposite, there were all tenements down yeah, in front yeah. of it. You guys would have looked straight out into tenements, yeah, yeah. and there was a big church as well. All that completely bulldozed as part of all the kind of not just the MA, but it was the comprehensive development areas, yeah. and the change in the area is phenomenal. Yeah, just absolutely shocking, and everyone scattered to the four winds. What is your favourite building in Glasgow, and what would it tell you if its walls could talk? Kenning Park Complex, like the Kenning Park Complex, is my favourite building in Glasgow, and it always will be. Do you know what I mean? Like I think like a. Uh, I, I thought about this when it came in and I thought where you know where would I want and what would it be? What building has provided the greatest influence on my life and why? And it's, it's you know, it's totally the Kinning Park complex for all the happy moments, for all the personal mm-hmm. developments. And I guess, you know, what I would love to know is the history of the place. You know, I'd love to know more stories about the kids that went there and what they went on and done. I'd love to know the stories of the, you know, the different projects that happened there and what folks have went on and done, mm-hmm, the small mm-hmm. changes that the building's made within their life. I'd love to get the other side of the story from, you know, we there's, there's been, you know, folks that have came in and went out and we don't even know. I'd love to be able to create a more recorded history. So I think that if we're coming back to if, you know, one thing that I would tell groups to, that they were doing, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're going to listen to one thing, the one thing I would say is record it. 
record everything that you're doing and create mm-hmm. a decent archive at the start create a list of yeah, folks yeah, yeah. That, that are in and out and do do good you know starting and exit interviews but even then you know you'll never get yeah. more than a one percent of the stories that you're building could tell and i wish the Kinnan park complex could yeah. tell me some stories I'm sure there are things that have went on in that building that actually maybe they should probably just remain between the people that were there in the building as well. (laughs) (laughs) I was married in the Kinnan Park Complex as well, man. Uh, So, like, I have to choose Mm -hmm. the Kinnan Park Complex as as my favourite building. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) I don't mean, like, just under uh, under threat of, you know, punishment, but just, like, how could I choose someone else? Absolutely. Why, why not? Yep. Um, okay, Martin, that is an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for talking to us. That sparked off lots of ideas in my head. So very, very much appreciated. No worries. And to our audience, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow the hashtag, If Glasgow's Walls Could Talk. Thank you very much. The following message was submitted by a member of the public. If you want to leave a message about your opinions, memories and thoughts about Glasgow's historic built environment, have a look at our website to find out how. Govan Hill Bass is my favourite building. If its walls could talk, it would say thank you to the amazing community who saved it from demolition or conversion into flats, and that it is very excited for people to swim in it again. It is also crammed with memories of the area's history, and there are a lot more stories to be found. Glasgow City Heritage Trust is an independent charity and grant funder that promotes the understanding, appreciation and conservation of Glasgow's historic built environment. Want to know more? Have a look at our website at glasgowheritage.org.uk and follow us on social media at Glasgow Heritage. This podcast was produced by Inner Ear for Glasgow City Heritage Trust. This podcast is kindly sponsored by the National Trust for Scotland and supported by Tunnex.